Well, as we continue in baggage claim, it is so true that baggage can just really break you up, bend you up, and we're all carrying different parts of it. And today we're going to talk specifically about bitterness, because nothing will bend you out of shape more than bitterness. And we live in a really weird time in history that bitterness is actually celebrated. That in one sense, the more offended you are, the more angry you are, the more you hold a grudge against somebody, you get a lot of attention today. Rather than people going, whoa, be careful what this might do to you or do to the workplace or do to your life or do to your future. And let's face it, life has no lack of reasons for you and I to get bent out of shape. It really doesn't. There's reasons why life isn't going the way you want. You can get bitter at life or bitter at God or bitter at whoever, boss, whatever spouse, whatever child, whatever parent didn't allow you to do what you thought you should do. We get bitter once we get married because he changed. We get bitter because he won't change. We get bitter because she did change. We get get bitter because I didn't expect my health to decline at this age. I didn't expect my family not to turn out this way. I had this vision, but I got this reality. And so we end up getting bent out of shape with this baggage of bitterness. And the truth is, life will hand you plenty of bags that give you the opportunity to be hurt, to be bitter, and to be angry. And the truth is, I can't control what life hands to me. I can't control the kind of baggage life hands to me. But I can control the kind of bitterness I keep in me. And a lot of us spend a lot of our energy trying to control people and circumstances so that things won't happen to make us bitter. But the truth is, no matter how great a manager or planner you are, I promise you, there will be lots and lots of opportunities to get bitter. And though you can't control the kind of baggage that life hands to you, you can control the kind of bitterness you hold in you. I had a uh, lunch appointment this week with a guy who talked about how he was able to overcome a lot of bitterness in his life. From a father, from circumstances... And how in the midst of all this bitterness, he actually saw God work in his life. As he was talking, he said he and his family kind of had a a rule. He described it this way. He said, when my family got together, we pretended everything was good all the time. We were like looking over a beautiful, placid lake. He said, in the middle of that, I didn't know how to be authentic. I didn't know how to express emotions. I didn't know how to deal with a lot of that stuff. I just know you protect face at all costs. He said, so my dad, I worked for my dad. We started this big business in town many, many years ago. I was doing incredibly well and very, very successful. So my dad would pay people 115% of the going rate for their salaries Because he knew that most people spend 110% of whatever they make. So he'd have them all trapped because they couldn't jump from job to job because he paid them more than they were worth. But they were spending more than they made even at that. It's a combination of shareholders and and other employees came to me as as the son of the, the guy who started the company and said, you need to fix this. And I'm in this horrible circumstance. I got family members who are my wife's family's working for the company. And, and I just was under so much duress trying to keep up the image that the family was good. And I was so angry and bitter at what was happening and, and how I was getting the short end of the stick. So as things continued to unfold, we had an intervention that did not go well. They rarely do. An attempt to try and make this you know, move in a healthier direction. 
He said, and I'm just really getting anger and anger. And at that point, you know, I end up having an affair just to deal with all the pain and the anger going inside me. And that goes public. Like everyone knew about this thing. He said, in the middle of that, I had some really horrible circumstance that happened with, uh, you know, one of my daughters went through a terrible divorce. He said, in the middle of all that, I met a guy who started, for the first time in my life, taking me through a Bible study. And I wasn't really a Bible. I was religious. I was a Methodist. But uh, I wasn't ever read the Bible. But in the same way that in business, I was so good at fixing stuff. You give me something, I'm going to research it. I'm going to solve it. I'm going to fix it. It worked to my advantage with the Bible. I'm like, I'm going to get to know this Jesus and what this is all about. Because I end up coming to find a God who is about being authentic about what you do wrong. Being authentic and owning your own junk. And letting go of bitterness and trusting that he was in control. And it began to transform me. He said, I began to own what I had done in my marriage. I began to own. And, and I said, well, how were you not bitter at the fact that your circumstances were such that you got children who are going through difficulty. You grew up with this kind of circumstance. He said, well, I just realized I was able to surrender so much of that bitterness to God and trust that he had a plan. He also said, when you don't live in an insulated life anymore, you find yourself going to doctors all the time to help with your kids, you start realizing that pain and difficulty is more normal than abnormal. And you no longer think that life or God is picking on you as much as you think that maybe, oh my goodness, heavens have opened and there's holy music coming. I knew this was a good story, but I didn't realize it was that good of a story. And he said he was able to let go of the bitterness as he was able to surrender to God in the middle of it. It was really cool. So how do you and I do that? Well, today I want to talk about two people in the Bible who face very, very difficult circumstances of grief and of loss and of challenge. One's name is Naomi and the other's name is Ruth. And they both make very different decisions on how they're going to control the bitterness that's in them, and yet God works through both of their lives in a pretty powerful way. Let me start with Naomi. From Naomi, this older woman um, in the Bible, in the book of Ruth, she really falls into bitterness pretty badly because she finds out that when you, when you crawl into your baggage, you become your baggage. When you crawl in to your bitterness and you just let, let it consume you, eventually you, all you are is that story. All you are is that bitterness. So she crawls into this thing. And I've got a lot of empathy for her, and maybe you will too, because her circumstances are horrible. But in her horrible circumstances, she crawls into her baggage of bitterness and becomes a very bitter person. So from her, we learn three things not to do. Number one... Don't nurse it. She and her husband went through a famine. Their business got destroyed. And so they have to leave Bethlehem and they have to move to a foreign country named Moab. They're living during a time when nobody really did what was right. It was called the time of the judges where everyone did what was right in their own eyes. So she's got very moral ambiguity going on. Very difficult time to have anyone tell the truth. She's got a famine that strikes in the land. They've got to move out of town, away from their friends, away from their family. The business was fell apart and they got to start a brand new business. When she gets there, they have two sons. She names her sons Malon and Chalon, which speak to how she's nursing her bitterness because her two sons' names are sickness and wasting away. So I'm not just talking about theoretically she's nursing her bitterness. She's named her sons. Have you seen my two boys? Wasting and sickness. And she's literally nursing them. And their whole life, every time, hey, sickness, time to eat. Ding, 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 ding. 
She's got this constant reminder that life has been sick to me and life has wasted me away the way it's treated me. That she nurses. And in the middle of that, things get worse. Now her husband dies. Her boys grow up and they marry two women from the foreign country of Moab named Orpha and Ruth. And then both of her sons die. So if anyone gets a pass on a circumstance to be bitter, it would be Naomi. But her bitterness isn't going to make her any better. And you're going to see that the first thing she does to sort of crawl into her baggage is she's constantly nursing her baggage. She's nursing her bitterness. The second thing, she doesn't just nurse it, she also rehearses it. And this is going to make you angrier and angrier, bitter and more bitter, when you just keep rolling that story around in your head. I can't believe God did this to me. I can't believe life did this to me. I can't believe my ex-partner did this to me. I can't believe my ex did this to me. I can't believe my boss did this to me. And you just rehearse it like a snowball. The more you rehearse it in your mind, the bigger it gets and the bigger it gets. Look what she says. Again, some saddest words in the Bible. Her husband died and she was left. Then both her sons die one of the saddest verses in the Bible, she survived her two sons and her husband. Those are her circumstances that life has handed to her. But look at how she rehearses, I am alone, I have no hope, there's nothing else to it. See, she decides to take her two daughters-in-law, Orpha and Ruth, and she's going to head back to Bethlehem. Look at how she describes the experience. She arose with her daughter-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard, because she had heard that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. Now, she's Hebrew. God is her God. She is God's people. But she's already, even in her language, she's said, okay, I'm on the out list with God. She's rehearsing. God doesn't care about me. God doesn't take care of me. But I heard the famine is over in Bethlehem, and God has visited his people, which is not me, anymore in Bethlehem. She's already rehearsing this idea that God's angry at her, God doesn't care about her, and God's out to get her. Then she goes on. It grieves, so go, she turns to her two daughters-in-law, says, go, return to your mother's house. Go back to your gods, go back to your place. I got nothing to give you. It grieves me very much for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. So she's just rehearsing. God doesn't like me, God doesn't care about me, God's out to get me, God's hands against me, rehearsing it. Then she returns to Bethlehem. Now she has nursed it, she's rehearsed it, and now she's dispersed it. You get around this woman, whoo, you get to hear her story about how life has treated her so poorly. And that's what happens when you get around bitter people. It's not just they're bitter for themselves, they're just consumed by their bitterness. You've heard them tell that same story 12 times. It's the only story they know, seemingly. And look how she disperses it. She comes home. There are people who care about her. There are people who miss her, who haven't seen her in a while. And they want to wrap their arms around her and be with her. And look what happens. She's dispersing bitterness everywhere. When they came to Bethlehem and all the city was excited because of them. There's love, there's care, there's concern. The woman said, hey, isn't that Naomi? It's good to see her. And Naomi said to them, do not call me Naomi. The name in Hebrew literally means pleasant. She's changed her name, just like she did with her boys. 
Have you seen this little good-looking sickness? Have you seen my good-looking wasting away? No longer call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Which doesn't mean a lot to us, except if you're Hebrew. (laughs) There was a bitter herb that you ate at the Passover service called Mara. So her name, literally, she's changed from Naomi, pleasant, to Mara, bitter. How would you like to have a mother-in-law like that? Some of you are saying, I do. Yeah, but they literally changed their name to bitter. And look what she says. I changed my name to bitter, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full. The Lord's brought me back home again empty. Why do you call me pleasant, since the Lord has testified against me? See, they're rehearsing all over again. And the Almighty has afflicted me. All these phrases. Now it's dispersing everyone. Now she wants everyone to call her. Hey, bitter, come on for dinner. She's just dispersing that everywhere. She's crawled into her baggage of bitterness. And what happens is when you crawl into your baggage of bitterness, your bag tag becomes your name tag. What happened to you? Your cancer. What happened to you? Your divorce. What happened to you, that circumstance when you got fired unjustly? It becomes your identity. What was just a bag before a circumstance, my bag tag becomes my name tag. And it's a story I introduce myself with. Somewhere in a conversation, I end up talking about the pain I've been through. You've crawled into your bitterness and you've crawled into your bag. It's a story a pastor mentor of mine was telling. He had two... Mothers who both came to him over the years in one year span and both had the same problem. They had a, a husband who was relatively uninvolved in their life and the marriage and their kid's life. And they're both asking for advice. He gave some pastoral advice and some prayers, but ultimately their husbands weren't changing. But what struck him is that one of them over the next couple of years was able to forgive their husband and talk in such a way that their husband and them were able to move in another direction. And they were able to let go of the bitterness. The other one... Same circumstances, same opportunity to forgive and move on, but just couldn't do it. And she realized the reason was the one mother had made the very definition of her success, being a good mom. And when a father's not involved, it's definitely going to affect your kids. And both moms could see their kids sort of moving in the wrong direction. But one mom defined herself by being a good mom. It became her ultimate bag tag. I am the kind of mother I am. I am how my kids behave or don't behave. I am the result of what my kids look like. And and what kind of face and reputation we have. And because of that, the one mother could never forgive her husband because he had affected something that defined her, her parenting. The other one still wanted to be a good parent, still wanted to be a good mom, but it wasn't the ultimate thing in her life. Being a Christian became the ultimate thing in her life, and being a good mom subordinated itself to that so she could forgive her husband and they could move forward in that moment in life. I remember about a year ago, we had an interview with my friend Stephen Cathy, who talked about a time in their marriage when they were separated from each other for many years, and they were sort of calling lawyers and throwing things back and forth at each other. And they shared in that video with us that there came a moment they decided, whether we get divorced or not, let's stop being bitter. So we just made that decision. We just saw how bitterness and divorce just destroys people, let alone families. And by letting go of that bitterness, not letting their anger at each other, what had happened to each other, become their name tag, they actually were able to reconcile their marriage, which isn't always possible, but it was when they dealt with the bitterness. Or several years ago, we had a a staff member who we gave some feedback to that they didn't like. 
And they came back after a few weeks and said, I'm just so angry and so bitter about that conversation. So we tried to word it a little bit better, but ultimately the truth was the truth. And they said, is there anything you could do to help me deal with the bitterness? So we have this book. It's kind of a, uh, I don't know how you feel about Satan. It sounds kind of like, you know, woo, Satan kind of thing. But the, 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 the book is called The Bait of Satan. And it's really about how, God, how Satan uses bitterness or evil uses bitterness to destroy people. They came back from reading that book and said, oh my goodness, this is exactly where I'm at. I couldn't receive the feedback because I'm so bitter. I got all the reasons why you didn't give me enough credit or you know, I'm getting picked on or anything. When I dealt with the bitterness, I could hear the feedback. This became a, a long-running staff member with us from that point on. Because they didn't let that conversation, that feedback, their performance define them. Their bag tag wasn't their name tag. So from Naomi, we learn a lot of things not to do. But God is still going to work with Naomi. In fact, the book of Ruth could have been called the book of Naomi because the book of Naomi starts with her being bitter and it ends with how God works in her life through a woman named Ruth. God is going to work in Ruth's life, her daughter-in-law, but ultimately the, the goal is to show Ruth love but also to show Naomi love. And here's what we're going to find from, from Ruth. Ruth realized that she has got to check her bags if she's going to arrive at her final destination. See, she's lost her father-in-law too. She's lost her husband too. But she decides to check her bags, not carry the bitterness with her, so that she can arrive at her healthy final destination. And from her, we see her do four things. Number one, she decides she's going to burn the baggage. She sees bitterness as the enemy. What if you saw your bitterness as the real enemy, not what someone did? And you said, i got to burn the baggage. She's going to burn, she's going to turn, she's going to learn, and she's going to yearn. That's how you overcome bitterness. You burn, you turn, you learn, and you yearn. Look what happens. Two wives, women, one named Orpha, the other named Ruth. Her husband has died. Her brother-in-law has died. Her father-in-law has died. She's having to move from Moab as well. Very similar circumstances have been handed to her. Yet she says, no matter what I do, I'm going to burn up, burn up anything that's bitterness. All that's going to do is weigh me down and hold me back. And so she burns bitterness as baggage. The second thing is when given the chance to turn, when bad circumstances happen, you can turn toward God or away from God. You can turn toward other people for help or away from other people. Where Naomi turned away, Ruth turns toward both God and others. And Naomi, right before they leave Moab, gives her every opportunity to turn back. Look how many times she says turn. This is Naomi, Mara, talking to Ruth. Turn back, my daughters! Why will you go with me? I got nothing to give. Turn back, my daughters! Go! So Orpha kissed her mother-in-law. You got it! I'm turning back! (laughs) Orpha's out of here. In fact, uh, Oprah uh, got her name from this place in the Bible. They translated the letters her mom did from Orpha to Oprah. But so... Orpha actually turns back to the Moabite gods. So she follows the advice. Your God didn't work out. I'll go back to my own family. In contrast, Ruth clung to her. Nope. I don't know what's happening. I know it's bad. I'm not turning back. I'm with you. I'm holding on to you. We're going to go through this together. Come on. Let's, even if we don't understand it, let's not let bitterness take over. Let's not turn away from the sources of life or comfort we can have. And again... She tries it. Return just like your sister-in-law did. And Ruth turns to Naomi and says, Entreat me not. 
to turn away from you. For where you go, I will go. And your God, the God who let your husband die and your sons die, that's going to be my God. Why? She sees there's something in her God that was even bigger than their circumstances. That Ruth, in the middle of circumstances, was turning toward her God and clinging to other people. You may have heard this verse read at a wedding. It's often read at a wedding. But it's actually a a daughter-in-law speaking to a mother-in-law about sticking with her during grieving, difficult times. I went to the ATP about a month ago. While I was there, I I traveled in a car with a guy, and he shared with me that he's not really a Bible-believing religious folk, but he's going through a deep time of grief. He had lost his wife of 60 years. He's not even sure how to live without her. As we were talking in the car on the way over to the ATP, I said, well, how are you handling this? He said, well, not great. But I came across a book that's been helpful. So it's a book called Grief Observed by C.S. Lewis. And C.S. Lewis is kind of a big philosopher. He did the Narnia series. But this is a very personal book about how he dealt with the loss of his own wife, C.S. Lewis. The man in the car was talking. He said, God is just, I'm not really into faith or God, but I'm starting to actually get interested in God and turning to him as a source of hope as I'm learning how C.S. Lewis did this. And, and he's got the grief I have, but he's also got some hope in the middle of his grief I don't have. Turn to God. If you know Bob Marley, who wrote Redemption Song and Three Little uh, Birds, he was the Rastafarian religion, the belief that the Ethiopian emperor was the coming Messiah, and he sang about that for many, many years. But it was later in his life, even at the peak of his success, that in Ethiopia he started attending church, and he got baptized by the archbishop there as a follower of Jesus. And it was when he got terminal cancer that he reached out his hand in his deathbed and said, Take me, Jesus. He turned to God not just when things were bad, but he turned to God even at the height of his success, according to the archbishop. What do you do when life hands you baggage? Do you turn toward God or away from him? Toward others or away from them? Do you burn the baggage and turn to God? And then are you willing to learn? Because the thing is, when when life kicks you in the teeth, when life kicks you around, it's easy to feel like lost luggage. Like, whoa, where do I belong? How can I live without my husband or my sons? Ruth decides in the middle of her loss of her husband as a widow, she was going to learn about God's care in the middle of circumstance that she felt like lost luggage. So the next two chapters is this incredible little love story tucked in the middle of all this chaos of how Boaz comes into her life and they meet each other because of his generosity. Very, very successful man who, who led this apparently ever-growing large agricultural community into success even during the famine. Business leader, respected, loved by his employees and really saved the town of Bethlehem that Jesus will one day be born in. Probably would have gone under had it not been for Boaz who meets Ruth, falls in love with Ruth. And in the middle of that, Naomi's watching, and she becomes like, matchmaker, matchmaker, can be a match. Suddenly, you see her kind of come alive and like, oh, man, you know what? God's been, been mean to me, but he's helping you out. She starts giving advice. Here's kind of how us Hebrews, you're, you're Moab. Here's kind of how we date, and here's kind of what you want to do. And you see God beginning to bring life back into Naomi, despite her circumstances. She starts to see God at work in other people before she can see it at work in her. And God is wooing Naomi 
out of her bitterness while he's working through the decisions Ruth has made to burn, to turn, and to learn despite her circumstances. So what happens here is Boaz ends up taking Ruth and they become, they end up getting married. And pretty amazing, which is they end up having their first child. When they have their first child, the maidservants say something pretty amazing. So imagine the first baby is born and now mother-in-law is there and she's beginning to change. She's back to being called Naomi. The bitterness hasn't consumed her. It's been a couple of years now. And when the, go back one. When the maidservants say that when they see the child being born, then the women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a close relative and may his name be famous in Israel. They're saying, wow, God, despite what you don't understand what he's doing, that one of your relatives, Boaz, would end up dating your daughter-in-law and you still have a family name. Blessed be God that he would still work. That she turned to God in her time and she learned, even though you guys felt like God had left you, he hasn't left you. God has not left you this day. We're in a book about a guy named David who's the uh, head groundskeeper at Fenway Park for the Red Sox. And it's his journey uh, facing PTSD. He actually got hit by two cars. Pretty amazing story. He got pinned uh, at a McDonald's on a car when he got hit the first time. He was a grandson of a major league player and his whole baseball career just gone just like that because of the damage to his knee. And then another really strange circumstance several years later, a mentally deranged person actually drove into a, a baseball field and chased him down with her car and hit him. He ch- chased him down with his car and hit him. So he's had two of these. He ends up having all this PTSD and he took this test, like 12 symptoms, and he had like all 12 of them. And he went through the whole process of dealing with the PTSD from these two accidents. Well, their whole series of what support and turning to other people and turning to God and faith in the middle of that, he ends up becoming the head's ground keeper of his lifelong hope that he wanted to play at Fenway Park. Instead, he was now um, the manager of the, of the grounds. And people said, well, man, you're, you're the most unlucky person in the world to get hit by a car twice. He said, as I have seen my growth through this process, I see myself not as the unluckiest person in the world, but one of the luckiest. What was he doing? He was ter- choosing to burn the, bit, the bitterness, turn to God and others, and learn through his circumstances. So he goes on in his book. He said the, the previous groundkeeper said, just so you know, every once in a while, the Clark River really goes up high. And so just so you're going to find some surprises on the field. What does that mean? So sure enough, the Clark River went up real high and they're getting prepared for a game one time. He walks out on the field and all over the field at Fenway Park are fish flopping around. Flop, 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 flop. The guy said when the water level goes high, the fish persevere through their, their drainage system. And instead of draining the water down, it actually lets the fish come up. And he actually keeps, David keeps a picture of a fish in his office now to remind, remind yourself that when the water gets high, when circumstances get challenging, it might be the way God uses to produce a kind of perseverance to take you places you've never been before or never even think to go. But you've got to burn the, the bitterness. You've got to turn toward God and others in the middle of it. And you've got to say, I'm going to learn how to not be bitter in the middle of these circumstances. But some of these things are never going to be solved in this lifetime. That's why the last stage is yearn. There's times you're going to have to yearn. 
year after year that I'm not going to see my sons again until I get to heaven. And I'm yearning for a world where there's no pain and there's no death. I'm yearning a place where there is no betrayal. I'm yearning for the day that I can see my, my lost ones again. And Christianity gives a very unique historic and futuristic look that what can't be dealt with in this life, you can yearn for to be answered in the next life. And we get hints at that in the book of Ruth. Because as the baby is being born, the maidservants say something else. They say, there is a son born to Naomi. Now, Naomi's not pregnant. She's well past pregnant days. Ruth is pregnant. But this is so significant that even the maidservants say, it's like you've had a baby. God is giving this child to you. You've yearned for a future. You've yearned for a family line. You're yearning for something that's going to happen in the future. And so Ruth's child is really your child. And then the last line of the book says, For he's, his name is Obed, and he's the father of Jesse, the father of David. King David, the incredible future legacy of King David, and David's son, 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 will be a man named Jesus Christ. And God uses this story of bitterness that Ruth, who didn't fully understand what Obed would do, and Naomi that didn't fully understand, they had to yearn that some of the answers to life's problems, some of the, the answers to life's quandaries, you just have to yearn for the future. That eternity in heaven, God is going to solve some of those problems. And it's okay to yearn for that. It's okay to long for that. But while you're yearning, don't forget to learn to turn and to burn as well. When you think about your own bitterness to those around you, the amazing thing about Ruth is how kind she was to Naomi while she was so bitter. That's our key takeaway today. I want you to handle bitterness with care. Your own bitterness, I want you to imagine your own bitterness like you have an x-ray on yourself and it's like having a time bomb inside of you. If you could x-ray the baggage that you're carrying, I want you to recognize whether it's jealousy, whether it's defensiveness or fearfulness or bitterness, I want you to imagine it's like having a time bomb with you. You better handle that with care. And you better not mess around with it and decide, what am I going to do? Am I going to get the time bomb out of me before it blows me up and blows my relationship up and blows my company up? Are you going to blow that up? Handle it with care. And if you're dealing with somebody who's had a loss of a job, a loss of an opportunity, a loss of a son, a loss of a husband, handle them with care. They're going to say things that are mean and nasty at times. But let's be comforting and kind and patient. They're like luggage has been beat up quite a bit. And let's give a double dose of grace because that's what God did to us. Look how God treated Naomi when she, he, she said such nasty things about him. Naomi says nasty things about God. He's empty. He's afflicted me. He's mad at me. And God chooses to use her family to produce the Messiah to forgive the world. God doesn't give up on bitter people. He handles them with extreme love and care. Well, let me pray for you. Maybe you need to be handled with care this morning or you need the strength to handle someone else with care. And we need resources beyond ourselves. And I'd like resources from somebody who could handle Naomi in my life. Let's pray. Father, many of us are dealing with challenging circumstances or challenging people who've had challenging circumstances. God, would you give us your patience and your strength and your comfort 
to handle other people with care the way you've handled us with care. Or maybe today you haven't felt handled with care and you want to just be honest with God. You just want to say to him, God, I'm bitter right now at you. And maybe you want to be open to God saying, even when you're bitter at me, I haven't left you. I still want to work with you in the middle of your circumstances. We thank you, Father, for your grace and strength. In Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, before I let you go today, I want to give you a little behind-the-scenes look. One of the things that we love is when you have a service like this that impacts you, you might say, hey, I want to go and share this with somebody else. So for the last couple of weeks, our production team has actually uh, been able to get all the production in. So while the service is going on, we have got a team of volunteers and staff who have been producing the service today. And they are pre- preparing in advance for our live stream and those things. And so if you feel like, hey, I want and I'm excited about taking services like this and being able to watch it on my phone or send it to a friend, maybe you want to volunteer be part of our production team as we're building the teams of volunteer and staff right now. Maybe you're excited about, well, last year we've been talking about this. I gave some money to this. When's it happening? It's underway right now. We got the last beta version of the app came out last week. We're about to go live on that. It's going to allow you to watch the services on your phone, email from your phone, archive messages by title. All of that stuff is rolling out here um, between now and the end of the year in a very exciting way. So thank you for all of your serving. Thank you for all your giving. And hopefully there's going to be new tools you can use for yourself and for your friends um, to really help them find a God who helps us get released from bitterness or anger or jealousy in our own lives. And if you haven't given to be part of that and you feel like, oh my goodness, I'd love to be part of that, as the system gets fully online, we're going to move over to building another room for for more space because we filled up our 10 o'clock and our 8.50 service, and there's still opportunities to give to be part of that final finishing uh, decisions we make there. So again, thank you for all your generosity. It's a very exciting time here at Horizon, and we're excited that these new tools will help really help more people, your friends, and you can watch services even when you're out of town. So thanks for being here today. We'll see you next week as we continue in baggage claim. Thank you.